Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, where as a church, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So if you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend worship experience. We'd love for you to stay connected with us by visiting us at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. Thanks for being with us, and we really hope you enjoy this message. Begin to the Word of God today. Awesome. I'm ready to preach. We have been in a sermon series called Promised. Somebody say Promised. It's built on the idea that so much of our anxiety, so much of our fear, so much of our, our worry in life, so much of our stress comes from the unknowable. You know, we don't know what's going to happen at work. We don't know what's going to happen in our relationships. We don't know what's going to happen with our health. But I want to let you know that in life, even though there are a lot of things you don't know, there are some things that you do know. The Word of God is full of promises. And God is not a man that he should lie or change his mind. And so if God said it, he's going to do it. He doesn't break promises. When you know the promises of God, you can rest easy. You can have peace in this season that's supposed to be peaceful. And that's what we've been talking about. What are those promises that we can build our life on, that we can rest on? Because God promised us some things, man. And like a kid arguing with their dad, you promised. I think God loves it when we take his promises back to him and say, hey, but you promised. And he is faithful to fulfill that which he promised. Today's promise, last week we talked about the promise of a significant life, Jeremiah 29, 11. This week we're going to talk about a promise that without exaggeration, I know preachers are known to exaggerate and all that, but without exaggeration, okay, this promise literally saved my life the day my son passed away. And I want to share it with you, because while there might not be anyone in that particular situation today, I do think there are people in a situation that is similar, a depressing situation, a scary situation, an uncertain situation. You've been getting attacked from all sides. You have no idea where to go. i got a promise for you that is going to save your life. Romans 8, 28. And we know. Somebody say no. Not and we hope, not and we wish, not and we think, mm. and we that all things, not some things, not 50% of things, 70% of things, 90% of things, 99.999% of things, but and say it with me, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I want to speak to you today on the topic, nothing wasted. Nothing wasted. It's so important when we read this passage that we read it the right way, that we don't mess up the words. It always annoys me when I'm singing a song in the car radio and I start to sing it and my wife is like, because I got one word wrong, she's like, that's not how it goes. I'm like, sorry, lyric police. What are you, Simon Cowell over there? Okay, I don't sing how I, I always tell I say, it's my version. How many people have said that before? <laughs> this is my version of the song. I like it that way. It's my version. It's very important that you don't have your version of the Bible, though. Because the words in the Bible matter. You can't just sing it your way. <laughs> the way that it was intended is very important. And, and for example, it says 
all things work together for good. Here's what it doesn't say, all things are good. If you don't know the difference between all things work together for good and all things are good, you'll start looking at bad things like they're good things. And the people that you're meant to encourage with the Bible, you end up discouraging with the Bible. So when they're going through a hard time, you just go up to them and be like, Paul, don't you know the Bible? It's all good. That's not helpful. And worse, that's not biblical. And when you tell someone who's going through a difficult time, it's all good, not only are you discouraging them, but you are instilling in them a disassociation between them and the love of God. Because if you can look at them with a straight face talking about it's all good, then your empathy gets reflected on the Lord. So if you don't care about what I'm going through, God must not care what I'm going through. It's very important that you don't talk to yourself that way. You ever meet somebody who is overly optimistic? Like, uncomfortably so? Just always happy, just always sees the bright side of everything, never worried. I'm like, sometimes you need to be worried. And the fact that you're not worried is worrying me. <laughs> I'm worried about the fact that you're not worried. You know, you're on fire right now. It's all good. No, man, go get wet. <laughs> Stop, drop, and roll, dude. It's all good. The Holy Ghost. No. That's not the kind of fire he intended. Tire blows. It's all good. It's not all good. And if you begin to tell yourself that, you create a disassociation between you and God. Because you know you're lying to yourself. And if you know you're lying to yourself, it's just a matter of time before you start to believe that God is lying to you. It's not all good. And the Bible doesn't say that it's all good. What the Bible does say is that all things work together for good. And that is an entirely different message. And now, even as I say that, I can hear and feel the skeptics sitting in the audience steady go, yeah, but if you know what I went through, there's no way God can use that for good. There's no way that this can help me. There's no way that this can be beneficial. Let me show you uh, in an illustration kind of how that works. Here on this table are six ingredients, and each one of them by themselves are not good. For example, here is salt. Salt, if you put it on eggs, mm, good. But a spoonful of salt by itself, <sighs> this is how much I love you guys. good, y'all. It's worse than third service. <laughs> you got to be careful when you use salt, by the way, because a little bit goes, spreads throughout the whole thing. When I think about salt, I think about the little things in my life that have spread to the rest of my life, the bad things that have permeated throughout the rest of my life. Like when I was a kid, my, my, my sister would always cheat when we played Monopoly. She would land on board, our boardwalk like five times and still have money. I'd be like, what happened? I look, and then one day I looked, my mom was sliding her $500 bills under the table. I was so mad. 
It's, I'm 37. I still remember that. And today, if you and I are playing a board game and you cheat on me, you see how I said it? I said cheat on me. That's how hurt I am. Like if we were in a relationship and you committed adultery, we're not friends no more. Pastor Jesus, why do you take it so seriously? I'll tell you why. Because I'm salty. That's what salty means. The little things that get you, like getting picked last on the kickball team. And now every time you drive past a schoolyard, you <laughs> twitch a little bit. Like when you used to be called that name in elementary school, and then your spouse called you that name one time in a fight, and it hit deep. You had no idea how it triggered you. A bad thing, not a good thing, a bad thing. This is sugar. You would think sugar is good. Because you put sugar in your cafe? That's coffee, if you don't speak Spanish. But I take it you use the context clues <laughs> to perceive as much. Coffee, by, coffee, on, coffee and sugar is great, but sugar, a spoonful of sugar does not help the medicine go down. A spoonful of sugar? It's not good, guys. <laughs> Have you ever had a spoonful of sugar? Of course not, because you're not a madman. You wouldn't do such a thing. But sugar by itself is very bland. It promises to be good, but it's not. Now I think about all the bad things that happened in my life that promised to be good that ended up disappointing me. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Huh, that dating app? Six out of 10 people on Match.com get hooked up. Well, you must be one of the four. I guess. <laughs> Didn't work out for you. That diploma that promised to open up so many doors and you graduated high school, graduated college, still can't get a job. Yeah. I think of cinnamon. <laughs> cinnamon on oatmeal is delicious. But a spoonful of cinnamon. I think about all the things in life that burned me that weren't good. I think about that friend who swore he was my friend until I found out that the secret that I shared with them somehow got to everybody else in my class. I think about the person who said that they would be with me forever that ended up leaving me. I think about everyone who made a promise in my life that burned me, that turned their back on me. It burns. I think about chocolate. You think chocolate is sweet. You think chocolate tastes good. The only reason, if you ever ate chocolate and it tasted good, it's because it was mixed with sugar. But this isn't sweetened chocolate, this is baker's chocolate. Baker's chocolate doesn't have any sugar. So if you've ever eaten baker's chocolate without sugar, you would know. Have you ever tasted it? It's bitter. 
so bitter. It's a taste that stays in your mouth even when you're done talking. I think about the bitter moments in my life. I think about the girlfriend that cheated on me in 11th grade. Still can't get that taste out of my mouth. I think about that person when we started the church, before we started it, who set me down. He's a pastor. He sent me down. He said, your church will never grow because white people would never go to a church led by a minority. And that, that I'm so bitter about that. I, I tag him in all my posts. <laughs> Don't clap. I'm not healed. <laughs> That's why I did it. Just added 200 seats, by the way, in case you're watching. Um, and uh, <laughs> oh, be better than your pastor. Be better than your pastor. I wonder if you have any moments like that in your life, the ones you can still taste. If I brought it up, you would still remember that moment, still stuck with you. And then I think of flour. I'm not even going to eat that. I'm not going to eat the flour because it's raw. And, 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 and raw flour can actually get you sick and take you out. And I think about the moments of raw pain in my life that I was not ready for that almost took me out. Think about the car accident. I think about the loved one who, who I lost. Do you have any moments like that in your life? Just straight up pain, you weren't ready. It was one phone call and it changed your life. Not good, not good, not good, not good, not good, not good. Yes, somehow, if you were to mix them all together and you gave them to the right person, with the right skill set and the right gifts, all of a sudden, what was salty, what was not good, what was spicy, what was bitter, what was raw, turns into something sweet. Here's what I love about God. He is the master chef. He can take all your hurt and all the abuse and all the time you were alone. He, might, he is the greatest baker of all time. He's so good at baking, the Bible says that he bakes the bread of life. Anything that you need, he takes you through a process. I'm trying to encourage you because one day you're going to sit back in a season of your life and you're going to be like, mm, oh, life is so good. Life is so good. On that day, you better rebuke yourself. Life isn't good. God is good. This was life. Life was salty. Life was bland. Life was spicy. Life was bitter. Life was raw. But then you met God, and God took what you had, and he put it together, and he made something beautiful. Life ain't good. God is good. God's the one who puts it together. God's the one who makes it work. You didn't get there by yourself. You'd be dead if it wasn't for his grace. You'd be dead if it wasn't for his mercy. That trial would have took you out, but he's a chef of all chefs, and he's a good chef. He's a good chef. Not like my kids. They're bad chefs. They started cooking recently, and one of them caught a lemon, and he put the lemon on one side, then squeezed this lemon out to make lemonade. He only needed half a lemon. So he let the other lemon just sit out all day. Ruined my lemon. That's not God. What am I trying to say? If God cuts you, he's going to use every piece. Nothing wasted. He never makes an incision that does not have an intention. 
He never inflicts pain that does not have purpose. If he cuts it, he's going to use both pieces and the peel. Nothing wasted. The other day he was cooking meat on the stove, which they're not allowed to do anymore. Because we came back from the gym and the thing was burning. Ground beef just burning on the pan. And he said, I said, what happened? He said, I got distracted. I went to go play and I forgot that it was there. Let me encourage you. God is not like kind of chef. God is a good chef. If he puts you on the fire, he'll never let you burn. He'll never put you in so long that you lose. And I hate to tell you this, he'll never take you out too fast. He's not going to serve you well done and he's not going to serve you rare. Medium well is what the Lord does. Because he's good like that. If there's an ingredient in your bowl, it's because he's using it. Because he knows. He knows exactly what you need to get you where he wants to get you. He knows exactly what your son needs to bring him back to God. So you're over there freaking out. My son's this. My son's locked up. My son this. God's like, watch me. He knows exactly what your daughter needs to get her to finally to surrender. He knows exactly what you need to finally put away the pornography. But my wife, but my then, nothing wasted. He knows exactly what your marriage needs to finally get restored. He knows. And he's going to put you through the process that he needs to put you through to get you to the place that he needs to get you to. You can trust the master chef. You can trust the heavenly baker, the maker of the bread of life. Amen. There are three things I felt like God wanted me to tell you, and I'm going to run through them fast because I really want to get to the end of this sermon because I think God's going to do something powerful whether you're watching online or you're in the room. The first thing God wanted me to tell you is that your skills are not being wasted. I'm burping because I ate real food, okay? Somebody was like, you should have used fake salt. I'm like, I'm not a fake preacher. I want them to experience my pain. Your skills are not being wasted. You ever felt like the job that you're in right now is not the thing that God called you to do? Do you feel like there's a gap between what you do and what you dream? Do you feel like you're not living up to the, the potential of your potential? Maybe you don't get appreciated enough at work. Maybe you don't get appreciated enough by your boss and you start to think to yourself, my skills are being wasted. I'm a singer. I'm a preacher. I'm a leader, I'm a builder, I'm a doer, and they got me doing this, but they got to do me in that, but I'm built to do this. So now my skills are being wasted. If so, I want to introduce you to a man named Joseph. Joseph, Genesis chapter 37, verse 5, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him. All the more. They said to him, he said to them, listen to this dream I have. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Joseph has this dream of greatness, but on the way to greatness, he has to become a slave, he has to become a butler, and he has to become a prisoner. Now, I want to encourage you, if you've got a dream, I honestly believe you're going to get there one day. But you might not be pleased with the path that gets you there. Joseph ends up getting there. He ends up becoming the second in command of all of Egypt, which is the most powerful nation in history at that time. So his dream does come to pass. But my question to you is, this is for you to ponder. Did I never used ponder in a sentence before. I don't know why I did there, but this is for you to think about. 
does he get to that place, listen, despite the demeaning work, or does he get there because of it? Were all those things hindrances and speed bumps, or were they escalators and elevators? Because in order to lead a nation, you got to be able to serve other people and not think about yourself. What better place to learn that than a slave when you're not even allowed to think about yourself? In order to be in politics, you got to know drama. Got to be able to handle drama. What better place to learn drama than Potiphar's house, which was the place that he was a butler at, which if you know the story, there was mad drama in Potiphar's house. If you're going to lead a nation, you got to be able to be organized and work shifts and, and plan meals. And I bet you those were some of his responsibilities when he was in charge of the prison as the prisoner. Shifts, meals, dividing resources. Are you seeing it? Let me encourage you. Your skills are not being wasted. They're being honed. Do you know what it means to hone something? To sharpen it. To make it better. To improve upon it. It's the old Daniel son and Mr. Miyagi. Oh, my gosh. I know I'm older than a lot of y'all now. That it's Cobra Kai. <laughs> Any Karate Kid fans in the house? Come on. Cobra Kai fans in the house? Come on, man. Wax on. Wax off. Wax on. Wax off. He said, Mr. Miyagi, I want you to teach me how to do karate. Mr. Miyagi said, give him a rag. He said, let's start. Wax on. Wax off. And he was so mad at Mr. Miyagi, his master, because he was like, why are you teaching me how to clean? Why are you teaching me how to drive? I didn't sign up to be a housemaid. I didn't sign up to be a cleaner. I want to be a fighter. And all of a sudden, while he was in the complaining, Mr. Miyagi came up and was like, wah, went in for the punch. And Daniel's son was like, wah, wah. He looked at his hands and he realized, wax on, wax off. He didn't know, but the master knew that everything that he was putting the apprentice through was not torture, was not discipline, was not punishment. It was preparation. It was destiny. It was a test. It was what he was using to build him up to get him to where he wanted to go. But you might sit there and be like, well, I'm ready right now. I'm ready right now. You know how I know you're not ready? You think you're ready. And you got too much pride to see that you're not presently prepared. Which is why, this one's going to hurt, but you need to hear it. Your skills are not being wasted. You're being humbled. Sometimes God will have to put you in a season where you get no attention so that you can learn to lead without needing attention. So that when God elevates you, are you ready? When God elevates you, you don't take the attention that belongs to God. So he's going to put you when nobody sees you. He's going to humble you so that when you get to that place, you go, yeah, this was all the Lord, for sure, 100%. I know it wasn't me. I spent enough time. Because if I look at Joseph, I think he has some arrogant problems. God gave me a dream. You're all going to rule me. Bro, even if that's true, why would you tell them? No wonder you got thrown in a pit. I throw you in a pit too. Hey, everybody, look at me. Why would you do that? Unless you were looking for attention. I learned something about Joseph when I was studying him. God can't use people who need attention because when he gives it, they'll take it. And it all belongs to the Lord. So your skills are not being wasted. They're being honed and you're being humbled. Here's the second thing I want you to learn. God told me to tell somebody your time was not wasted. Your time was not wasted. 
I'm speaking to 20-year-olds, but I'm, I'm also speaking to the, those who are a little older as well, who look back on their life thinking, did I do anything? Did I accomplish anything? Which I guess we all think about no matter what our age. I sometimes want to just slap 20-year-olds when they're like, I don't know, I'm 20, I've wasted so much time. I'm like, what? Are you kidding right now? Shut up. There's so much life ahead of you. You're just getting started. But we all feel like that. Moses was a man who felt like that. Zero to 40 years old, he's working in the palace. Sorry if I don't look at that side too much. I'm not used to you. I forget you're there. Zero to 40, I'll be back. Zero to 40. He's in the palace, and the whole time he's in the palace, he's preparing to deliver his people. He loves the Israelites. He knows that he's a Hebrew born to uh, free them. But 40 years of learning, 40 years of building relationships, of networking, and then in anger one day, makes one bad decision, kills an Egyptian who is torturing an Israelite. And, and because of that, now becomes a fugitive. Listen, and everything he built for 40 years, gone, because of one bad moment, one bad choice. And I just need to know, don't raise your hand. You can just look at me, you can just swallow if it's you. But is there anybody in the room who identifies with the feeling of one bad choice messing up everything? I had built this thing, I had this life, I had kids who loved me, I had a wife who loved me, I had a job that was good, and one moment, boom, lost it all. I can imagine Moses in his 40s looking back thinking, Wasted. Dang. And it doesn't get any better from 40 to 80, mind you. Because from 40 to 80, he becomes a shepherd in the wilderness. Nobody watching. And I bet at 80, he's looking back thinking, wasted. Didn't happen. Didn't work. What a waste of time. Waste of time. We say that so often. What a waste of time. But was it though? Because when I look back at Moses' life, I see some things that happened from 0 to 40 and 40 to 80 that prepared him for what was about to happen at 80. I see him wanting to deliver the Israelites from the Egyptian would require a knowledge of how government works in Egypt. Where would one find the knowledge of how the royal palace works? Uh, how about growing up in the royal palace? Was it a waste? You're about to lead a million people through a wilderness. A million rebellious, wandering people. If only you could have 40 years of practice with a species of living creature that wander and rebel. Oh, snap. You were a shepherd for 40 years, walking a flock through the very same wilderness that a million Israelites are about to walk through. We don't ever talk about this enough. Moses knew the shortcuts. Moses knew what cactus to drink from, what cactus to not drink from. Moses knew where the spiders were and the scorpions were. Yes, God was protecting them, but they were also led by somebody who knew that wilderness inside and out because he had spent time in that wilderness. Moses was so arrogant that he killed an Egyptian at the age of 40 and didn't think twice about it. But then when God finally calls him to his destiny at 80, he goes, please, Lord, I stutter. Don't use me. Sounds like me. He got humbled. In 80 years, he received a royal education, a family, a wife and kids. He received leadership training, shepherding skills, and humility. 
but all Moses could think about was what he lost. Write this down if you're taking notes, it's gonna set somebody free. Never let what time took take away what time gave. I have people who get divorced after 20 years and they look back at their marriage and they go, what a waste of time. 20 years down the drain, waste of time? What about the kids that marriage produced? Well, yeah, they're great. It's just that I went through a lot. Never let what time took take away what time gave. Well, we just didn't have good times ever. For 20 years, I find that hard to believe. You never had one good memory, never had one good moment, never let what, never let what time took take away what time gave. And also, you underestimate the power of God. Look what happens at 80. Exodus 3, 2 through 4. There the angel of the Lord appears to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight why this bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am at 80. Now, I never knew this studying the Exodus. If you grew up in church, this is about to blow your mind. And if you did know this, you need to be the pastor of this church. Because I studied the Bible, and I did not know that. I had to research this. I found this out. He's 80. The bush gets caught on fire. He's about to set the people free from Egypt. And if you've never read the story, I'm sure you've seen the book or the movies. You got the Red Sea. You got all the plagues. How much time, this is my question, from when the fire bush was caught on fire to when the Red Sea split? Mind you, Moses had been born to deliver the people of Israel. He'd been wanting to deliver the people of Israel from the moment he realized that he was Hebrew and they were slaves. So he wanted this for 80 years. He wanted this. Two sets of 40. He thought he could do it in the first 40. He thought he could do it in the second. He probably gave up on it in the second 40. And now he's 80. When you do the math, don't play yet. When you do the math, and you count the days because it said this plague happened for this many days this plague happened for this many days and you add up the days from the burning bush to the Red Sea assuming he went right into Egypt after the burning bush although all theologians are not in agreement on one consensus one of the more popular theological theories are based on the study and literally just counting the days do you know how long it took? 40 days 40, wait a minute, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, so like God, this is going to help you, to do in 40 days what Moses could not do in 40 years. Wow. It was like God putting a little cherry on the sun to be like, look at me, look at me. This is going to encourage you because, just because it didn't happen Instantly, and it's not happening currently, doesn't mean it can't happen suddenly. Some of y'all about to give up because you've been waiting and you've been hoping and you've been patient and you've been believing and nothing's been happening and it's not happening. Do you know you serve a suddenly God? The Bible says that the Israelites were walking around the walls of Jericho seven days and on the seventh time, they just started worshiping, lifted up their hands and nobody had the plan, but God knew that the moment the worship went up, boom, the walls went down. The literal word that he uses in the scripture is suddenly because our God can take you into new territory suddenly. I'm trying to encourage somebody who feels like it's not coming. You don't understand how God works. Just one phone call, just one meeting, just one investor, just one post that goes viral, just one song.
song that you write, and in four minutes, what you've been trying to do for four years, God can make happen in a moment suddenly. I'm trying to encourage somebody who's been single for a minute. If you've been single for a minute, let me help you. You serve a God who in a minute. Mm. Outside trying to you know, get a drink of water from the water fountain church today, just, oh, oh hello. How are you? My name's Alice. It's yours, Alex. Alex, Alice. This is that minute. You never know. Somebody who's been hustling, trying to grow the business for a minute, and you haven't been able to increase sales, you haven't been able to increase your property, you serve the God of who in a minute can make the miraculous happen. You've been trying to get pregnant for a minute. Well, good luck. You serve a God who in a minute, in a minute, boom, I mean, hopefully not right now. Hopefully you wait to go home and then, but tag me tomorrow. Be like, I felt it in a minute. Because you serve the God of suddenly, not instantly. Can I preach that? That's not even in my notes. Can I preach that? Some of us left God because we mistook him as an instantly God. I did this, he does that, and he never said he'd do it instantly. He said he'd do it suddenly. Instantly is about me and what I want. Suddenly is about God and what God wants. God will do it when he's ready because that's when he'll know you're ready. He's a suddenly God, not an instantly God. Y'all can play. My last point is what God wants me to tell you. Your pain is not wasted. Who needed to hear that today? Your pain is not... Because you go through certain things in life. You just look back on it, you're like, I just have no idea how doing that to a three-year-old girl could be good. I just... The pain I've been carrying my whole life? Married to somebody for 20 years and just takes them an accident unexpected and you cry and you cry and you cry why God why how could you can I tell you something about your tears did you know they never hit the ground I was talking about Pastor I was crying I saw there was a puddle underneath my feet at the funeral what my Bible says Psalms 56, 8. Here's what God says to all of us who have cried. Ever. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. And you have recorded each one, each tear in your book. Whew. Good God, Holy Spirit, help me share this with them like you shared this with me because this saved, this freed me, Lord. To know my pain was not in vain. Do you know what that looks like? This is why illustrations help because they sometimes communicate what you got to see. God said, your tears never hit the ground. I've been collecting them. Every time you cried, And I didn't just catch it. I accounted for it. In other words, I know exactly where that tear came from. And every season of your life, God's got a bottle in heaven with every tear that you ever cried. 
Every tear you ever cried in your childhood, that scraped knee when you fell off your bike, he caught that. That bully that made fun of you and you were in the bathroom crying in the stall with the door closed by yourself, he caught those. That day daddy came home drunk and started to beat on mom, and you were in the room afraid for your life, he caught those. That day mom came home, forgot it was your birthday, that Christmas where there were no presents under the tree, he caught every single one. He was with you. You were not alone. He saw you. Not just your childhood. I don't have time to jump in all of these, but the relationship stuff, he caught that. Best friend who betrayed you. The affair. That man who forced himself on you that night without your permission. He caught those tears. The person you lost at that funeral. The grief. He caught those tears. Sometimes we cry when we're angry, when we're afraid. I'm talking to the, the father who lost their job. And now it's trying to figure out a job that was supposed to retirement, pension, 401k, and now you're trying to figure out how to provide for your family. It's a combination. You cry. You wouldn't cry at home, but you'll cry in your car. How am I going to provide for my family? That 16-year-old girl who got pregnant, couldn't tell mom, couldn't tell dad. The dad of that baby don't want nothing to do with the kid, says it's not his. And now you got a combination of fear and anger. How could he do that to me? Fear, what am I going to do now? He caught those tears. He caught every single one of them. And the question is, why? That verse about catching your tears makes no sense unless you read another verse, Psalms 126.5. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. You know why he saved them? what your pain can turn into, do you? Let me help you. Your pain turns into two things. Number one, your pain turns into purpose. We got a staff member on our team, lost his father two years ago. Very tragic. It was unexpected. We were there in the hospital when he passed away. We loved him. We prayed for him. There's only so much we could do. Last year, though, was a good year, 2022, because my, my, my friend, staff member, he's Argentinian. And well, if you follow soccer, you know, last year, let's go Messi. The Argentinian team, they won first place in the World Cup. He was so pumped, so excited. I thought, how good is God? Two years ago, he loses his dad, and then next year, he wins the World Cup. I said, God loves you, man. He was like, yeah, it's good. That's all good. <clears throat> Another staff member texted him and said, hey, man, I'm sorry. Sorry? That's strange. Why would you be sorry? He says, I'm sorry. Because I bet the whole time you were celebrating when they won, you were wishing your dad could have seen that game with you. I'm a pastor, and I had, no, I had never thought to think about that. But this guy who texted him did. You know why? Because he lost his dad unexpectedly in an accident seven years earlier. Because he knew what it was like to lose a father. He knew how to encourage one who had lost a father. Are you with me? In other words, he used his...
his grief to water his friend's soul. Every pain that you've endured in your life was a setup to be on the encouragement, Jesus, life-giving side of someone else's distress and hurt and pain. And no one can help that person like you can help that person. We got a widow's group at Journey Church. It's called The Widow's Journey. And it's not led by a licensed Christian counselor, although that would be awesome. We love licensed Christian counselors. We pray that we get more. You know who it's led by? A widow. A woman who lost her husband years ago. Why? Because it's one thing to have theories, but it's another thing entirely to have tears. Oh, if you got tears, you can help so many people. Every time you cry, can I tell you right now, you're not weeping. You're watering a seed that you have yet to see in your life and in the life of someone else. You know what else is beautiful about your tears, what they can turn into? Hear me. I'll close here. Your pain turns into an offering. Not a financial offering. I know we're doing legacy right now, but you can relax. An offering to God turns into worship. Luke 7, 37, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Every time I read this story, the perfume gets all the credit. And rightfully so, because the Bible says that the alabaster jar cost one year of wages. But there was something more expensive that was poured on Jesus' feet that night. There was a liquid of more value that was poured out at the feet of Jesus' feet that night. More valuable than the alabaster jar. The most expensive thing that was poured out on his feet was not her perfume. It was her tears. Because the alabaster cost her one year of work, but the tears cost her a lifetime of shame. It took a lifetime of work to get to where she was. And she didn't have to give it to Jesus. She could have done what most of us do with our tears. You know what most of us do with our tears, right? We don't sow them. What do we do? We, we wipe them. Come on, do you have those parents? You get into a fight in the car, you start crying, and before you get to church, they're like, wash your face. Wipe your face. Don't go in there crying. They're not going to think I'm a bad parent. Then you go to that party, you go into that house, like, hi. Are you crying? No, I'm not crying. I'm good. Thank you for having us. Because <laughs> that's the culture we live in. Wipe your tears. Man up. Be a strong, independent woman. Don't cry. They're going to call you emotional. Be tough. Be strong. And the woman could have done that. She could have came to Jesus' feet. She could have came to Jesus' party and be like, hey, you're good. I'm good. I don't really need you, but it'd be nice to have you. I mean, I heard you do some miracle things, and so that'd be really cool. But she didn't care. She didn't care who would laugh at her. She didn't care who would point at her. She didn't care who would talk about her. And they did. They pointed at her. They laughed at her. They threw shame at her. But she was so broken that by the time she got to Jesus, she said, I don't care what they think. And I don't care what they say. Lord, I need you. And I need everything about you. Take my tears. Take my pain. Take my shame. All the men I slept with. All the men who abused me. Take it all. I give it to you as an offering of worship. How can your pain be worshipped? 
Because whenever you worship God in the midst of pain, lean in, lean in, lean in. Whenever you worship God in the midst of pain, it means you love God more than the thing you're crying about. Lord but I'm done complaining about it instead I'm gonna cry about it at your feet and I'm still gonna worship you because you were the dad I needed and that I had in my life thank you Lord for all that you've done my tears on my worship to you I cry Lord he broke me she broke me they hurt me I didn't think I'd ever come through but I love you more than I love them. And you, you bound up this heart that I thought could never be healed again, Lord. I worship you. I worship you. You ended up teaching me everything I needed to know about being a parent. Lord God, I cry to you. I cry to you. I cry to you. I give it to you. God loves it. Psalms 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. So I'm going to do something that we don't often do on Sundays at Journey Church today. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up front if you would be so kind. And I'm going to ask everyone to stand to your feet. Nobody leaving. I know we've extended service a little bit. We tend to do that at the 1230. If you like shorter services, come to the 9. There's a schedule for that. We're here. we got nowhere else to be. We like to take our time. And so without leaving, unless you got really got somewhere to go, uh, we're not going to judge if you got somewhere to go. But I want to... I want to ask our team to sing a song that I gave them last night because I thought it would minister in this moment. And then after we sing this song, I'm going to pray, then I'm going to dismiss. And when we dismiss, you can go home, get your kids, get in the car, all that stuff. But if you need prayer, here's what I just visioned this Sunday. I envisioned Jesus sitting at this altar and you bringing him your tears because God just put in my heart. He said, there are some people who have not cried it out yet, who have not cried about it yet, and they need to give it to me, and I want to take it from them. I don't want them to waste their tears. You are not a waste. Give it to me. So I want you to listen to this song real quick, and then we're going to pause it. I'm going to pray for you. Then I'll, I'll tell you, give you some more instruction. But can we sing this song? I'm not too proud. I'm not too proud. single one 
Bow your heads and close your eyes. If that's you right now, let me pray for you. Father God, you see every single life in this room right now. God, I pray that you would encourage them. Nothing wasted. Nothing wasted. Nothing wasted. You don't waste our time. You don't waste our skills. You don't waste our life. You know exactly what to do, where to do it, when to do it, how to do it, how long to put us through it. Put your trust in the hands of the Lord. Put your life in the hands of the Lord. It's all going to come back in Jesus' name. If you're in the room today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, maybe you do need to be like Mary and just bring your whole life to him and say, here, Lord, here I am. I was invited to church by a friend. I didn't even think that you were real, but sitting in this room today, it's dawning on me. This is legit. You are here, and I want you to be in me, and I want to serve you the rest of my life because for the first time in my life, my pain has purpose. My life has peace. Maybe you grew up in church, but it's been a while. You walked away. It's time to come home. On the count of three, I want you to raise your right hand as a sign. If that's you, that you're ready to make Jesus your Lord and Savior again or for the first time. One, every head bowed. Two, nobody looking. Give them a moment of privacy. One, two, three. All over this room, if that's you, would you raise your hand high so that I can see you, honor you, and encourage you? So many hands going up. Praise the living God. Thank you for your courage and boldness. You can put your hand down. Everybody in the room, whether you raised your hand or not, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Father God, I hear you. We hope you've enjoyed this message, and we would love to hear your story and how this ministry is changing your life. Please email us at amen at journeyorl.com. And if you would like to support financially, you can give online at journeyorl.com give. If you're in the area, join us on Sunday for the full experience. Have a blessed week.